the information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, prevention, diagnosis, counseling, treatment, or other services. Always consult a mental health professional before engaging in any activities discussed in this podcast. Thank you for listening. Have you ever wished for magical powers? Do you still await your Hogwarts acceptance letter? Well, welcome to Hogwarts. You are magical. And this is your invitation to join us in exploring the psychology behind the most magical series, Harry Potter. Welcome to Harry Potter Therapy. Hello, all you magical people out there, and thank you so much for tuning in to Harry Potter Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and the full-time witch. So today, we are going to be exploring Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. This chapter starts off with Hermione in the hospital wing. She's been there for several weeks now. Most of the students who returned from the holiday vacation could only assume that she's been attacked while they were away because no one really knows what happened to her. But we know what happened to her because she had essentially changed into this cat woman. (laughs) Although her condition excuses her from classwork, she insists that Harry and Ron collect and bring her homework. She needs to do her homework while she heals because that's Hermione's way. She feels like she's going to fall behind. What does this type of dedication suggest about Hermione's personality and core values? You know, I was thinking about it from the point of view of being an immigrant. Because like Hermione, I was somebody who was not born in the environment where I later went to school. I was born in another country and received this amazing opportunity to move to the United States and go to really good schools. And I think Hermione is able to really value that she's able to get really good education at Hogwarts. And I think that she wants to learn everything she possibly can because she knows that this is something she doesn't want to take for granted. She wants to make the most of this amazing opportunity. So I think it really highlights how sometimes people who understand what it means to grow up without something, when they receive it, they're a lot more grateful sometimes and Mm -hmm. might be more likely to really value every opportunity that they are given in the way that she is. Yeah, that makes sense. While Harry and Ron were studying, they overhear Filch shouting at someone about cleaning a mess. Driven by their curiosity, the boys go to investigate as they do. And again, they see water flooding the floor outside of that girl's bathroom, Moaning Myrtle's bathroom. Looks like Moaning Myrtle's flooded the bathroom. When they go into the bathroom, Moaning Myrtle is sobbing and is very hurt because someone threw a book at her. Harry reasonably asks her how a book being thrown at her could hurt her because she's a ghost. And being a ghost, the book would just go right through you anyway. She blows up. It can't hurt if someone throws something at you. I mean, it'll just go right through you. Shoot! 
Let's all throw books at Myrtle because she can't feel it. Ten points if you get it through her stomach. Fifty points if it goes through her head. What can this say about hidden wounds and triggers? You know, I know in the book, it literally says... Harry asked reasonably, except that I don't think I don't think it was a reasonable question. I know that it was asked out of ignorance, but what Harry probably didn't realize is that those emotional wounds can stay with us forever. For Moaning Myrtle, she'd been bullied and harassed for wearing glasses, for example, and for being different, perhaps. And 50 years later, she's still really traumatized and really pained by what happened to her. And so even though physically the book doesn't hurt her emotionally, understanding that somebody might have intentionally attacked her is really painful. So there's this 200-year-old expression, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. We know that sometimes an intentional act of verbal cruelty, for example, can hurt a lot more than if we accidentally fall and break our arm. And so yeah. I think in the case of Morning Myrtle, she's probably remembering all the times that she was abused and hurt, and she's perhaps fighting for her right to be treated as a human being. Even though she's a ghost, she deserves to be treated with compassion and dignity. And I think that's something that Harry and Ron probably have a hard time understanding. Yeah. When you were saying that, I thought about this. How horrible would it be to be a student who is killed and you come back as a ghost in a school where there's all these students that are living the life that you could have lived had you survived? That that would suck person visits Moaning Myrtle as a friend just to check on her, right? you know, just to see how she's doing. A lot of people go to see her either to make fun of her or because they need something or she just happens to be there. But unfortunately, there are not many people who are kind to her, her, her friend. And I think that's what she really needs. Yeah. Poor Moaning Myrtle. I know. So Hermione's a cat woman and it took her (laughs) two months to completely heal. I mean, holy moly, two months. Uh, That was a a big fail on her part. (laughs) I actually think that sometimes when we might not think about the consequences of taking a foreign substance, that Mm -hmm. could be a potential outcome. I think Hermione was lucky that it occur two months to recover. Sometimes mm-hmm. when we take a certain drug without knowing what it is and, you know, it might actually end up being fatal. Right. And so if we think about it in a kind of our everyday terms, there's so many young people, especially, but people of all ages that take different kind of substances that they either create themselves in their own home lab, if you will, or get from somebody else. And then they take the substance and sometimes they might have really terrible results. Right. Well, when she heals, Harry had found this journal in the toilet that was thrown at Moaning Myrtle. And he fills her in on the whole situation. This journal is 50 years old, and it belongs to the student named T.M. Riddle. But inside the diary, it's completely blank. Hermione, however, makes this immediate connection between it and the last time the Chamber of Secrets was open, which was 50 years ago as well. I'm kind of surprised that none of the kids remember that Tom Riddle's origin story from back then, because it suggested that he was the one who brought 
justice to the first chamber of secrets, right? Essentially Ron knew him and recalled him as being of some kind of service to the school because he threw up the slugs on this metal that was for Tom Riddle and he had to clean it. Filch made him clean it. So he knew Tom Riddle pretty close. So what are your thoughts on this whole history of Tom Riddle? You know, I was wondering the same thing that someone like Hermione who had learned history of the school might remember the name Tom Riddle. So I think that might've been a little plot hole. And I was also wondering why the school had kept his service award after he became Voldemort and after he committed all the heinous crimes that he committed, you would think that even if they still believed that he writ the school of the monster from the Chamber of Secrets, that his award wouldn't still be at the school. So I wasn't sure about that. And I think that in some situations, when you have an individual who commits some heinous crimes, like for example, a football athlete who might commit an act of, let's say, sexual assault, sometimes their trophies and their medals are still displayed in the school. Mm -hmm. And I think that's despicable. I think that it's important to recognize that if somebody committed heinous acts against other human beings, then their victories maybe shouldn't be honored going forward. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. And that's an interesting way to look at it through the lens of a football athlete or any kind of sports athlete. So to increase morale, because the students are starting to feel a little low, Lockhart insists that the school celebrates Valentine's Day. He hires these dwarfs to deliver Valentine messages through the school. Harry eventually gets caught in a corridor between classes by this dwarf who, you know, makes a huge scene. He tackles him and, you know, just pins him on the ground by sitting on him just so he can sing him a valentine. A lot of students, including Draco Malfoy, hear this dwarf singing this valentine. His eyes are as green as a fresh pickled toad. His hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he were mine. He's really divine. The hero who conquered the Dark Lord. What are your thoughts about these types of displays of attention that can kind of form embarrassment in these settings? You know, and I think some people like Lockhart himself thrive on this kind of attention and that's fine. But I think for a lot of other people, this kind of attention can be so humiliating. I think that being the center of attention in this way can be humiliating for anybody of any age. But I also think it's unfortunate that younger kids think that somebody liking them is something to be embarrassed of. I remember in junior high school, there were some kids that would pretend like they weren't interested in the people they were interested in just because they didn't want to be made fun of. And I think it's so silly that in schools, especially in middle school, in like first, second year of middle school, so in the United States, there'll be seventh, eighth grade, kids make fun of one another for having feelings. But I do think that a singing telegram for Valentine's Day might be a bit much. (laughs) Most definitely. You know, I just see that Harry is already under this microscope because everybody thinks he's there, Slytherin and everything. He wants to be under the radar so much. He doesn't want any kind of attention and to have this dwarf just sing to him lovey-dovey type stuff. That would be super embarrassing. 
in the skirmish, an ink bottle is broken and all of his books get covered in this red ink. And as he's picking it up, he realizes that all of his books have this red ink except for the diary. And Harry figures out that the diary somehow absorbs ink and decides to write in it. He writes down, I'm Harry, and the journal responds to him, Hi, Harry, I'm Tom Riddle. Do you know anything about the Chamber of Secrets? Can you tell me? And then Tom says, well, I can show you. And he shows him what supposedly happened 50 years ago. Can you talk about what's going on here with this diary situation? You know, as I was reading it, I couldn't help but think about how some predators interact with children. And granted, this memory is of Tom Riddle when he was, I guess, just about to graduate Hogwarts. So he was just barely an adult, if an adult at all. I couldn't help but think about how a lot of adults might leave a little clue or a little message for an unsuspecting child and earn their trust and then present them with some kind of messages of lies just to then have the child fall into their trap. And this is really scary. It made me think about how easy it is to fall, in in Harry's case, literally into this trap that this predator had set up in order to weave his web of lies in order to take advantage of Harry. Yeah. So as we mentioned, the diary kind of sucks Harry in because Tom says, let me show you. And he just gets sucked right into this memory, I guess. And he becomes a spectator of Tom Riddle's own memories. Riddle! Come. Professor Dumbledore. Dumbledore. It is not wise to be wandering around this late hour, Tom. Yes, Professor. I suppose I I had to see for myself if the rumors were true. I'm afraid they are, Tom. They are true. About the school as well? I don't have a home to go to. They wouldn't really close Hogwarts, would they, Professor? I understand, Tom. But I'm afraid Headmaster Dippet may have no choice. Sir, if it all stopped, if the person responsible was caught... Is there something... You wish to tell me? No, sir. Nothing. Very well, then. Off you go. Good night, sir. And in this memory, Harry sees Tom confront Hagrid. And it is suggested that Hagrid initially opened the Chamber of Secrets 50 years ago and had been taking care of the monster. Evening, Hagrid. I'm going to have to turn you in, Hagrid. I don't think you meant it to kill anyone, but... You can't. You don't understand. The dead girl's parents will be here tomorrow. The least Hogwarts can do is make sure the thing that killed their daughter is slaughtered. It wasn't him. Aragog never killed no one. Never. Monsters don't make good pets, Hagrid. Now stand aside. No. Stand aside, Hagrid. No. Sistam Aperio. I can't let you go. I'll have your one for this, Hagrid. You'll be expelled. Hagrid! 
Sigrid likes big beasts. You remember Norbert and Fluffy, and he likes big beasts. <laughs> he likes big beasts, and he cannot lie. Oh, you went there. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does something like this say about profiling and fitting a profile? Well, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I have to wonder how often we make assumptions about other people based on the limited information that we have about them. So if we know somebody's into a particular hobby, we might assume that they might also be guilty of something. And so it's really interesting how easy it was for Harry and Ron and Hermione to jump to a conclusion that Hagrid was guilty because this is what they saw. But what's really important to keep in mind here is that eyewitness accounts are often inaccurate. They were only seeing one person's perspective, one person's memory, one person's view, if you will. And they assumed that this was accurate, even though they didn't want to believe it, even though Hagrid's their friend, they assumed that that's exactly what happened. Right when you said that, I remembered this old Akira Kurosawa movie called Rashomon where this situation happened and the person was interviewing them and from four different perspectives, you had four different stories. Yeah. Think about it this way. Tom Riddle didn't lie to Harry. He showed him specific clips of his memory mm -hmm. so that Harry would piece it together and make an assumption. Now, what we know of Riddle is that he also manipulated Ginny into like doing his bidding for him. And again, if we go back to this discussion of how predators work, it's really scary because they might manipulate the truth to get their victims to do certain things that they normally wouldn't do, whether it's engage in behaviors that they wouldn't engage in. So unfortunately for some people, that means engaging in, for example, sexual acts. In Jenny's case, it might be in, let's say, killing roosters, for example. In Harry's case, it might be risking his life or sneaking into areas that he normally wouldn't be going to. And so it's really interesting how often somebody's villainous mind might create this form of a manipulation where a person will use the little breadcrumbs that this villain had left out for them and to develop exactly the interpretation that this evil individual had intended for them to develop so that this child would then engage in the kind of actions that this manipulative individual expected them to. Right. All they know at this time is that from yeah. what Harry saw is he confronted Hagrid and then, of course, the Chamber of Secrets issues, people getting killed or whatever, 50 years ago stopped. Yeah. So it's safe to assume at that point that he was a good person anyway. And it's interesting because this is a great example of how correlation does not imply causation, right? Just because something happened at the same time doesn't mean one caused the other. Sometimes, unfortunately, this is how some individuals, especially minorities, might get convicted of a crime mm -hmm. they didn't commit, right? They happen to be in the neighborhood or they happen to be jogging at the same time as a crime occurred maybe a block or two away. Much like Hagrid in this case, 
this correlation occurs, right? And maybe after this person's arrested, the crime stops. And so the assumption is, is that this individual committed it. And as we see in this book, it's not so simple. And very often we might have a, a case of mistaken identity or the wrong person might be charged with the crime they didn't commit. And there are multiple sides to every story that we need to right. examine very carefully. Most definitely. So at the end of the chapter, you know, Harry gets spit back out of the journal and uh, he actually tells Ron that what he saw about Hagrid opening the Chamber of Secrets and that's where the chapter ends and that's a good place for us to end this episode of Harry Potter Therapy. Thank you so much for joining us again. My name is Dustin McGinnis. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. And I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me on Twitter at Shadow Quill or on Instagram, Dr. Janina Scarlett Official. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please stay magical and stay safe out there. Take care.